0: Welcome to the MeBet, Devanchi.
1: Thank you, Erica, for having me.
0: I am so excited to have you here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. We have so many commonalities as far as our careers (laughs) and our journeys. So I am ready to unpack all of that. So you started as a corporate lawyer and now you're an entrepreneur. Paint the picture for me what it was like as a lawyer, and why you chose to leave the law?
1: Um, So so as a lawyer, money was great. And I remember finding myself at one of those high-end malls and looking at some Jimmy Choo's and telling my mom that, you know, the only reason I think I want to do law is because of the money. And then I thought about it, and I said, I don't think that's a good enough reason to do anything in life because I can always make money, and I knew I wasn't happy because I didn't enjoy waking up in the morning and going to work. And this is despite the fact that I was working at a great firm. I was working at a place where I got a lot of mentorship, where they were nice, there's not too much politics. So I figured I can't do better than this. And if I'm not really happy here, then I don't see myself being particularly happy anywhere else. So initially I took a sabbatical because I wanted to just figure stuff out at that point there was no intention to leave law because i didn't know what else i could do uh, so once i took that sabbatical i cleared out my headspace i also discovered some blogs i discovered tim Ferriss and the four-hour work week and that's when i realized that there are other people who are following their dreams who are doing things the kind of stuff they want to do um another problem with law for me was that there was no values alignment I didn't feel like I was being the best version of myself. I didn't like the person I was becoming. So I wanted to get away from all of that. And I only wanted to travel. So reading books, reading blogs, reading about other people's journeys really helped, and that's one of the reasons why I think your podcast is so important because we need stories about people who bet on themselves out in the world. Because when I started my journey, it was very lonely. Um, this was back in 2010. So things were very different. There was not so much of a remote work culture, and we were very much tied down to our, to our locals, to our local economy. So that transition was very lonely. But it was important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you because when I decided not to practice law right after law school, there were no resources at the time for anything to do outside of traditional law. And it is very isolating when you are the only one or one of few not to go that traditional path. Um, You mentioned that you took a sabbatical while you were still working at the law firm. How long was that sabbatical?
1: Um, so, initially, the idea was to take a six-month sabbatical. They did give me the option to come back after the six months. But um, I got depressed. I went through depression during those six months. I also got a, got an injury because of which I was on bed rest for a while. So, that didn't particularly help with the depression because I was largely alone at, in the bed, you know, and I couldn't go out, I couldn't do stuff. So, that's when... I actually Googled following your dreams. I said, I want to follow what it's like to follow your dreams. And that opened up this whole world of people actually following their dreams. And I said, you know, they can do it. Why can't I? And everybody told me, you know, these these are all Americans. Their lives are very different from ours. Indians don't do things like this. And I said, well, it doesn't matter. I want to do it, so I'm going to do it. Um, thanks to my injury, a lot of my bank accounts were depleted because I spent a lot of money getting that fixed. Um, yes. But I was determined about two things. One is that A, I will travel and B, I will figure out a way to do it without taking money from my parents. Um, which in uh, Indian culture, it's very acceptable. You can live off your parents for throughout your life. Nobody will bat an eye. It's okay. So, for me, that was a constraint I put on myself because I knew if I didn't do it, I'd have no incentive to do anything in life. So I started looking for, I literally did random work. I did work which would pay, which would take me a few hours and pay me peanuts just to build up my bank balance. I spoke to a lot of people about it. I did a lot of really odd jobs just to make up that money. Finally, I had about 10,000 rupees in the bank, 100, 150 dollars. <laughs> And um, I said, "Okay, I'm gonna go travel." So I spoke to this girl who was traveling India on at that time, what was five dollars a day. I didn't think I could do five dollars a day, so I said, "Okay, I'll do ten dollars a day." And I went on my first trip, which was like a it was a week. And yeah, I stayed in all sorts of shady places. I, I did only public transport, of course, and in buses and booms and doing all sorts of things just to fit at budget. But it was the most incredible experience of my life.
0: It sounds like it was. And it it almost seems like you had two me bets going on at the same time, both personally and career-wise, right? You mentioned that you had depression while you were on your six-month sabbatical. Was that a result of career or was that related to something else? I think
1: it was... Um, a combination of both I think it was because it was the first time I was not I did not have a path forward I had a plan I've had a plan pretty much all my life yeah I was one of those that did well in school got into the best law school in the country got a great job I had a five year I think I had a seven year plan to make a partner when I started out uh, I, had a, I had a partner of my own law firm I was like by thirty i'll be I'll be sorted <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I think that lack of a path the lack of a charted territory was very difficult for me to manage. Plus, um, navigating the home environment, because I have spent, uh, since the time I was nine, I was in boarding school. So this was really the first time I was at home, which was very different. I was very used to my independence and freedom and doing things my way. So it was a combination of, the bo- of both and also not having money. While I don't think you need too much money, money does give you independence and freedom. It gives you that freedom to do certain things you want to do. It gives you that independence to make decisions. So the lack of money actually was a big thing for me.
0: And that's why you started to pick up uh, freelancing work, odd jobs, and, and build back up your bank account. What were some of the most important lessons that you learned during that period?
1: One was to trust myself. To not listen, to not listen to, because I don't think there was anybody who said, you know what, you should do it. Everybody said you're a fool to do it. So the most important lesson was to learn that I'm capable of doing anything I want to do, as long as I work hard enough at it. Secondly, I realized that I can acquire a lot of skills I don't need to necessarily go to college, get a formal education, get a formal degree to learn new skills. So for example, I learned to code, I learned graphic design, I literally pressed random buttons on Illustrator to figure out how that works, made logos, made this, made that. I just spent a lot of time learning because I didn't really have anything else to do at the time. So I said I may as well acquire skills which will make me hireable and take it from there. So one is that Bet on yourself. Know your limits. I mean, today I know that um, I'm not going to become some fancy AI coder. I know that's not going to happen because I don't have the background for it. But I, I can do in basic HTML, CSS, and code my own website. Um, secondly, put a constraint on yourself. You have to have you know to no backups because that will just ensure that you follow through. If I had not been very strict about not taking money from them, I would probably be married in an arranged marriage and probably
0: have three children by now. <laughs> How did your parents feel when you first took the sabbatical for the six months and then you decided to travel the country? What did they think about that?
1: Um. So... The sabbatical they were happy about because I think they were just happy to have me home because, like I said, I've been away from the time I was nine. I was barely home. So they were happy to have me all to themselves for a while. Um, I don't think they would have been happy if they realized that that is what would have led me to quitting law. But um, once I did quit law, they were supportive in the sense that they didn't force me or, or they didn't really insist that I go back to it. But at the same time, they did tell me that you're making a mistake and they didn't understand it. They actually, it's, there's no simpler way to put it. They didn't understand. They didn't understand the reason behind the decision. They didn't understand why I would do something like this. They didn't understand why I would want to travel the country on such a low budget. They didn't understand any of that. But I have to give it to them. Once I did do it, um, they did support me. India is not exactly known to be a safe country. So having them, and Indian girls don't do things like this, apparently. So they did support me. At no point did they say that, you know, you can't do this, or you won't do this, or we won't let you do this, or anything of the sort. I remember when I first told my dad, he said, okay, you want to do this, how can you do it safely? I don't think they understood it, but in general, my parents have always supported what I do. They may not approve. But they're like, okay, you know what, you're going to do it anyway, whether we say yes or no. So we may as well just do it in a way where (laughs) at least we can sleep at night. (laughs) I'm quite sure that on my first trip, they didn't sleep
0: for days. (laughs) And they probably were so used to you having so much independence because you have been away at boarding school. So they were able to trust whatever decisions you made. So that made them feel comfortable, even though they didn't understand, like, what is she doing? But they still felt comfortable knowing that you would make a good decision. That's that's great.
1: And I think also they knew that I'm very conscious of safety in the sense that, you know, I would always make sure like I would be back in the hotel before nightfall. I would always make it a point
0: to be safe. You mentioned that you overcame depression. How did you do that? What steps did you take to do that?
1: So I went through two periods of depression. One was soon after I quit law. At that time, it was purely through therapy. I went to a therapist twice a week and I just poured my heart out. I shared everything which had gone wrong in my life for the past 25 years. <laughs> At that time I was 25, so I did. And that really helped because I realized that a lot of the stories I was telling myself were really stupid. And there was a lot of guilt and a lot of anger for reasons where there didn't need to be any. So, that plus travel. Yeah, travel was like, the, it gave me this little bit of a path forward. It gave me something to do. Even something as simple as planning my trips. And there was no, I mean, the kind of hotels I stayed in, there were no online bookings, nothing. I literally had to show up at the place, go from hotel to hotel, and say, you know, can you give me a room for the night? And the second time was, for about a year that was when i actually had absolutely no money so um i was living at home and i was literally i didn't go anywhere i was just at home because okay i got shelter from my parents i got food but again i refused to take money from them to do it so because of that i was at home so i spent a lot of time studying I learned HTML, CSS that time. I built a couple of websites on my own. I experimented with WordPress. I did lots of courses. I think a week later I went on a trip. (laughs) I just started traveling again. (laughs) So I went on a month long trip to the place where the Dalai Lama lives. It's a very nice little town in the hills. So I went there, I spent a month there. When I was there, I found a job for myself in Vietnam. And I applied, I got the job, and a month later, I was in Vietnam. So I think I've just been very lucky in life in a lot of ways. Because things really do work out from there. But overall, the other things do work out.
0: That's great. It seems also that you embrace that mindset shift of self-belief and growth in the sense that you have to figure things out but you were also confident in your ability to do these things. I don't know if you had affirmations like, "Oh yeah, I can do this" or or whatever it was, but you had that mindset shift to say, "Even though I'm walking away from this traditional profession and I am going into the unknown, I know I'm still going to be okay."
1: Um yes, I think um I don't think I was very consciously calling them affirmations or thinking of them as affirmations at the time. But I do remember saying to myself, everything will be okay. This too shall pass. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. Have faith in yourself. You'll figure it out. Something will happen.
0: That positive self talk is really important. Yeah. Because I think there's always so much noise in the background, you know, other people, other things, whether it be people you know, people online, whatever they can be all of this noise and it can be distracting, but to have that positive self-talk and the confidence and say, okay, listen, I'm gonna stick to it. That's really important.
1: Yeah, it was, I think it was the closest I ever came to regretting, to not even, I wouldn't say regretting, but to doubting my decision in that one year. So I had to constantly remind myself that the travel experiences were worth it, whatever happened. And I stand by that today because I know how much they changed me as a person. I know how much confidence they gave me because I, I had no, I was not street smart. I was very book smart, but I was not street smart. And then navigating the country on your own, it really makes you street smart. So you go to different places where you do not speak the same language, but you figure out a way to communicate. You figure out a way to eat cheap meat. So I remember thinking about all of that and uh, that freedom was fabulous.
0: And that's what you were seeking when you decided to yes. leave the law. Is that right?
1: Yes, that was what I was seeking. I mean, even today, my guiding principle in life is freedom. I want that freedom to be able to do whatever I want. I mean, of course, it should be ideally legal and should not hurt other people. But on my own, I would like that freedom to be able to go where I want, when I want. And to me, that is a purpose which money has in my life. It's not about buying a fancy handbag or those Jimmy Choo's are store in that mall. But it's just about saying that, okay, you know, like, okay, so, for example, next week I'm going to Bangkok. It's just a thing, but I can afford to go to Bangkok. I cannot afford to stay in luxurious hotels, but I can afford to at least make that decision and say, okay, I'm going. And I can tell my parents that, you know what, I'm going.
0: I love that. You decided to bet on yourself in so many different ways, and you have embraced this level of uncertainty. Oh yes. How did you get comfortable with that? Just doing it more. Like, what led you to to feeling like, okay, I'm okay with embracing this this level of uncertainty and being uncomfortable?
1: I think just time. I think it's like a muscle you build. So as you deal with more uncertainty it um, you just get more used to it. I mean I think I've reached a point where I crave uncertainty in certain ways I mean if you know, if my life if my life is too normal I'm wondering when <laughs> what's wrong it, it, it worries me when there's no uncertainty in my life but um, in a good way. In a sense that um, I have had a fairly stable career over the past 4-5 years. Before that, I was all over the place. I've had a steady cash flow over the past 4-5 years. So money's not been too much of a problem in that sense. But um, I also got bored at times. Because I'm like, uh, everything is just a little too easy right now, which I'm not used to. I'm not used to things being easy. Because it was so tough in the beginning. And everywhere, it always just seemed like I was struggling all the time. It was like, you know, pushing a boulder up the hill constantly. And because the last four, five years have been fairly easy in terms of work, in terms of that, there has been some stress, of course. I mean, all entrepreneurs have stress because there are ups and downs. There is a lot of uncertainty in business also. But on the whole, it's been much easier than, I would say, the seven, eight years before that. Where everything
0: just seemed like a lot of struggle. What clicked to the point where it wasn't as difficult anymore? Like, describe to me what that was like in the sense of the struggle as you're starting your entrepreneurial journey, because I know you've tried a lot of different things. You were a co-founder at the Curious Reader. You now are the founder and chief editor at editops.com. But I know you've done some things prior to those as well. So talk to me about trying a whole lot of different things. And what was the thing that actually... Change for you when you became successful—be it making your first dollar slash rupee, getting your first client. What what was that change like, and what was it before you got to that point, and what was it after?
1: So I would say, pre curious reader. I did a lot of random work. So I did social media management for a think tank. I did social media for a library. Um, I worked as a project manager for a tech company in Vietnam. I did a lot of freelance writing. I did a whole lot of stuff. It paid the bills, but it was not consistent. And I think it was just a lot of me experimenting with, okay, I thought, you know, social media, social media marketing is going to be really big. So let's get into it. And I realized that I really, I mean, in my personal life, I've not used social media in 10 years. So for me to really spend time on Facebook and all of that seemed a little bit of a stretch it was not a very happy experience curious reader. reader was where i was really happy so it was something which i started with somebody else it was an online literary magazine and as somebody who loves reading books we had neither of us around i had a bad background we had no experience in any form of editorial journalism nothing but we again we took a bet on ourselves and we said let's just go do this and we learned along the way, Like we spoke to people, we tried stuff out, we did everything ourselves, we did the web, I did the website, we managed the social media, we wrote the first few articles on our own, it was a very happy place for me, we had a great team, I connected really well with my team, and we were a very, very happy team, if I may say so myself, even now we are connected, and we do meetups regularly, and... The other reason why I credit serious reader with a turning point in my life is that um, it is when I realized that editing is what I wanted to do, which is weird because I edited in school, I edited in college, I have edited a book. One of my freelance gigs was editing a book, but it never clicked for me that I should go into editing as a business or as that's what I really would like to do. So the curious reader, when we shut it down because we couldn't figure out how to monetize, um. So and this was just uh, about six months into the pandemic. So after that, again, I went through this period of not knowing what I want to do and all of that, and then I joined the on Deck Fellowship, which is for writers, which is where I realized that there's a lot of options for editing. A lot of writers want editing. A lot of companies want editing that is where Ops
0: was born. So your prior bets on yourself helped to prepare you oh, yes. for curious reader and Edit Ops, essentially. Oh, yes. it's, it's interesting, but everything
1: I've learned, so I've learned a lot of skills, largely out of interest. It's not so much because I thought, you know, this was a lucrative skill or this was a logical skill to take. So, and they all coalesced in a way which helped me make money and or do something. So, for example, learning HTML, CSS helped me get that job in Vietnam. Vietnam. They're learning social media, knowing social media, being able to create a plan helping me get a job with a think tank. So a curious Reader helped me coalesce all of that because I use all those skills there. And all of that led to editors where I did everything. I made the website and wrote the copy and all of that. So it's all, everything has just come together magically.
0: That's beautiful. That's beautiful when it, and when it does sync up, when everything kind of syncs up and you can see like, okay, it all makes sense now. Like there was a, a reason that all of this happened. Like, it's yeah. a good thing that I decided to take the sabbatical, then leave while behind, try all of these things. And now you run a successful uh, company called Edit Ops, and you feel a certain level of do you feel, I don't want to speak for you, but do you feel validation by betting on yourself? I have felt that
1: validation for a while now, but I know those doubts. They still creep up once in a while, you know, especially that imposter syndrome. I hate that syndrome, but yeah, that does crop up once in a while because I don't have, everybody says, I don't know if it's an Indian cultural thing everybody says, but you don't have a degree in this, but you don't, you don't have any formal education in this. I mean, you just, you completely self-taught. You pressed a few buttons, figured out how to use some software. You didn't even look at a YouTube video. How do you know you're doing it right? And, And I figured out my own methodology to do stuff. I don't think there is an age for it. I mean, I've I know fifty-year-olds, sixty-year-olds who are also lost. So I'm not too worried about that. I just know that important thing is to push through. You know, what is it that you're feeling when you say that you're lost? Um, it's more like uh, sometimes I do doubt where I'm going because um, I see more than anything, I see my peers, I see the people who did stick to it. They, they have actually done all of that. They've become partners or they've opened their own law firms or whatever. And I do wonder what it would have been like to continue down that path. But after I wondered about it, I also know that I'm happier this way. I know that it's a different kind of difficult life, but it's the kind of life I enjoy. I'm enjoying it, basically. I'm, I'm happy. So they're lost or periods of doubt. For me, that's part of the process. I won't know I'm happy. There's no sadness in that sense.
0: Yeah. And, and I think too, sometimes it might be, I don't want to say dangerous, but you might not get the full picture if you yeah. compare yourself exactly. to your peers who stayed on that traditional path. Because yeah. even though they may be partners or whatever the case may be, we know that there are some other things going on behind exactly. the scenes.
1: Exactly. This is also why I quit social media 10 years back because I realized that, you know, I was just seeing everybody's best moments on social media. I knew that was not true, but I also felt that it was affecting me negatively. So I said, you know what, let's just not bother.
0: So how do you get your clients um, for your business since you're not very active or active at all on social like what have you used to to obtain clients for your business um, communities so i got a, actually i got a clientele from ondeck
1: because i got from that community from the people in the fellowship and at this point i am focusing more on cold calling just finding prospects and sending out. To be honest, I'm really not great at marketing. It's not my strong suit. So I'm also looking to hire somebody who will do it for me. Because I think they'll just do a better job. And um, so, yeah, so that's part of the plan. And apart from that, it's um, I do have a company account for for editor so i may not do it personally but i do feel that it may be time to at least start getting active on linkedin for me that would be a great place to be so yeah so i'm i'm actually working on all of that right now because i know that i'm exhausted my network in that sense because that's the easiest way to get clients in the beginning you get it through your network so to really grow now I Need to do go outside the network, and honestly, AI is a threat. So, <laughs> I'm also learning, I'm also working with Chat GPT quite a bit now. It's like learning how to do a little bit of prompting and just seeing how I can integrate that into my work in a way.
0: You're concerned about the effect that Chat GPT and AI has on your business for Edit Ops?
1: Um, yes, and no. Um, I would say yes, because. I do think that a lot of people who want basic editing, like a proofreading or something, I do think that um, something like Grammarly or can do it for you. But if you want deeper editing, I don't think AI is that good yet. But there is always a possibility that it could be that good. Secondly, the concern is that uh, with chat, GPT-created content, um, I know because I have used ChatGPT to create content, but what I have found is that if you edit it, so you humanize it, because ChatGPT uses a lot of the similar words, and honestly, it sounds robotic. It's repetitive. So that's the other skill set which I am developing right now, which is editing AI-related content. So anybody who's used AI to create is to humanize it. Use it basically as a jumping off point and give it the quirks which all human writing has.
0: I agree. I, I think it is important to realize the limitations that it has right now Yeah. Um, because chat, GPT, or any AI for that matter, cannot provide the human element yeah. in the sense that it cannot bring about the personal stories. Like it can't talk about when you yeah. were traveling throughout India, right? Exactly, <laughs> you can't talk exactly. about those, those types of experiences. It's very limited in that way. When you're talking about building your network, I would like to encourage mm-hmm. you to use LinkedIn. I am a newcomer to it as well. And I have found it to be very helpful. It is not an environment in which you have to worry about trolls, As much as you would with some of the other platforms. And I think it can be a good nurturing environment for professionals and other people to meet who are betting on themselves in different ways and doing some really incredible things, whether they have degrees or not. So I would encourage you to take a look at that. I think you would be surprised at the number of people that you can meet all over the world, which has been my experience so far. What do you enjoy the most about what you do? Um,
1: Editing and learning. So one of the good things about editing is that you, apart from maybe stuff like medicine and all, you don't really need too much domain expertise. So today I learn a lot because I edit such different kinds of content. It could be a political manifesto, could be a book, could be anything. So I really enjoy that part of it. I've always been more of a hands-on person. I actually like to do the work as opposed to you know managing and giving instructions. So I like to get my hands dirty. So I enjoy that part a lot, which is also why I would like to outsource the marketing.
0: Right. Because that way you can delegate that cold calling and the marketing tasks and spend your time on those high value activities, the things that you really enjoy doing. And that makes sense. That's just good time management. So don't feel bad about that. What's the biggest thing you did or are doing to help you achieve the freedom that you enjoy?
1: Financial independence. Easily. It is a one thing because I'm not beholden to anybody for my money. I'm beholden to my clients in that sense. But, you know, I'm not dependent on any one person. So that for me is the one reason why I have that freedom to do anything. And I, w- I guess second would probably be not being
0: married. <laughs> Are you being pressured by your family to get married? I think, I'm, I think I'm past the age where
1: you can get, where in the Indian context, where marriage is largely a possibility. So... Uh, everybody's kind of given up on it. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I think, to your parents are probably like, she's going to do her own thing. Like, yeah, she stopped I mean, listening parents... to us a long time ago. <laughs>
1: yeah, once in a while, my parents will, you know, say, maybe you should consider it or whatever. Or, you know, let like, us find a boy for you. And I'm like, I like my life too much the way it is. I mean, I'm generally, I'm a loner by nature. I'm happy reading a book in my room. So... For me, that uh, company is—I have a lot of company in terms of friends and all of that. But for me, it's not a priority to be married or any of that. If it happens somewhere down the line, it happens. But yeah.
0: would it be fair to say that you are more concerned about your career and the work that you're doing right now?
1: Um, no, I don't think so. I do. It's for me. I have literally one goal in life and that is to be happy that's literally it so that is whether that's through career or or whether that's through a romantic relationship or whatever or whether that's through travel it's just that i just want to be happy and it's not for me it's not a trade-off like career for me is not a trade-off for another thing or family is not a trade-off for me everything is a decision which is largely made in the moment
0: How would you define happiness? What does that mean to you? What's happiness to you?
1: I don't know how to define happiness, but I would say meaningful work, work which I enjoy. Not necessarily in this order, but work that I would enjoy good company, travel, and freedom. When I don't feel free, I don't feel happy, even if I have everything else. If I feel very tied down, or, you know, not, and by tied down, I don't mean tied down to a person, I usually mean tied down to a place. I need to move around a bit. I make it a point to spend at least one month a year on solo travel. Ideally more. Think about nobody but myself. Because as my parents are getting older, I do spend a lot more time with them because I know that they need me more. I spend a lot of time with my grandmother just to give her company. I visit my friends. So I need that one month a year where there's nobody telling me what to do, what to say, how to be. You know, I can... Just, I don't have to think about anybody but myself. I can spend a day in bed without feeling weird about it without feeling guilty about it. It's just me. And I eat when I want. I wake up when I want. I sleep when I want. I go where I want. It's amazing.
0: You've mentioned freedom a few times yeah. throughout our conversation. And that is what the me bed is all about for me as well, too, which is, you know, I have even come up with something that's called the 14 Freedom Framework. And one of those aspects of freedom is freedom of choice, freedom of location, to have the ability to choose if you want to do something or not, to choose, okay, do I want to be in this city or that city or this country or that country? Having that flexibility that it affords you. And you can't get that when you're on a traditional path.
1: Yeah, you can't. I see that also, I see that with other people, like my brother for example, he can't spend as much time with my parents because he ha- he has to go to office, so he has a certain amount of holiday he can take every year, which is fair. I mean, th- that works for him, he doesn't like, understand what I do, I don't understand what he does, but uh, as we're both happy, it works. So, I take or spend a lot more time with family, I spend a lot of time with friends, like I'll go visit a friend, as in when I want to, or whatever, so it's just more flexible but then it's been very consciously designed to
0: be. How do you prevent burnout? You've been an entrepreneur. You're still an entrepreneur. You have a business. You travel. You spend time with your family. Are there things that you're doing on your one month solo travel to rejuvenate, to get yourself ready to go back into it? Um, How do you prevent that?
1: Nothing special. It's just travel. It's just, you know, just, what I do like to do is I like to try to go to a new place every time as opposed to just going to the same place again and again because it's interesting, there's something new to explore and it's just fun because what all I do literally is walk. I go and leave in the morning, I come back, I walk all day Um, and it. I do hit all the tourist attractions, the ones I'm interested in at least but for me it's it, because it gets my mind working. I may not even leave my hotel room. It's a very few, like maybe in fifteen days, i will be one day where I won't leave the hotel room. But there are days like that because I just want to relax and nothing else. But it's just—I don't know—it's just the whole travel experience. It's something I would do even when I was at the Cutest leader. Every year, I would take two or three weeks off just to go by myself somewhere. And how long have you been doing that? I've been doing solo travel since twenty eleven. But there was a time in the middle where I didn't do any. After my period of depression, that's when I realized that this is what I really need. I need that one month to get, I need time away from everybody and everything I know to get clarity on what I want. Because sometimes the voices of others drown out my thoughts. There's nobody telling me what to do and how to think. So that gives me a lot of clarity. So there are two types of travel. I mean, travel with friends and family doesn't give me that so much clarity. But yeah, solo travel does give me that clarity. It just tells me, okay, you know what? This is what you want. This is what you need. Figure out how to make it happen.
0: If you were advising someone to bet on themselves, where would you tell them to start?
1: Start with putting some constraint, like some form of constraint. Like, you know, it could be I will I put my job in six months and figure out a way to follow through. I mean, there's no point of having a constraint if you don't follow through on it. But decide on a framework because when you have that time constraint, you will push yourself to think. You will push yourself to figure something out. So any form of constraint which works for you, but that, and I would say that start by seeing makes you happy. And don't fall into the follow your passion trap. Because a lot of times what you do for fun, what you enjoy doing may not be what you want to do as for work. And one thing about Curious Reader was, I think I read a lot less at the Curious Reader when i was getting paid to read because it was it was my work it was literally what i was doing day in and day out i had to read a lot of books i didn't want to read so that really put in put a dampener on it so be careful about that follow your passion but also know that it may not necessarily make you happy to convert it into something which you get paid for and apart from that the other thing I would say is say yes a lot. I said yes to a lot of things. I mean, I literally said yes to any opportunity which fell in my lap because I said that, okay, even if I don't know what I want to do, at least I figured out what I don't want to do. Like, for example, social media marketing. I figured out that's not what I want to do.
0: So, yeah, I would say say yes to a lot of opportunities. I like that approach because it's almost a process of elimination. Yeah. Like, if you, if you say yes to all of these different experiments, if you will, and then you can say oh i tried that i like that or i didn't like that
1: and i think you know, a lot of people feel that changing their mind or acknowledging that something is not working is is a failure i don't look at it that way i think that's a i think it's a very important part of growth be open to changing your mind one of the good things about betting on yourself is you'll get used to a lot of rejection and failure and after some time it will just you'll know, just wash over you you won't even notice it so and i think that's a very important lesson to learn
0: i really like that because i think some people believe that failure is a flaw and i don't think that i think that it is and i I don't even like to use the word failure because i like to look at everything as an experiment in the sense that like okay i tried that it may not have worked but I may have learned something along the exactly. way that can take me exactly. on to my next.
1: Exactly. I think that's I think that's where and I'm one of those people who actually looked at failure that way. I looked at failure as failure. And like, oh my god, this didn't work. There's something wrong with me and all of that. But after some time I just I just learned to I learned to learn from it. So that you know, okay, this is what went wrong and this is how I can do better
0: next time. There's this really good book by James Altucher. I don't know if you've read it. It's called The 10,000 Experiments or something like that. He says, go out there and try 10,000 experiments. Not literally 10,000, but to go out there and try all of these different things because you try, you see what you like, what you don't like, what works, what you can take for the next project. And I really... I really appreciated that perspective because that's yes. that's very unusual. <laughs> but at the same time, that resonated for me because, you know, you try different things to see what actually works because most of the time you have no idea what's going to work or what you're like that or is, whatever.
1: That's where the scientific mindset comes in, right? I mean, scientists, how, they try so many different experiments. Some work, some don't, but each experiment teaches them something new. And that is the... and I. And this is not original thought because I read this somewhere about this guy who said that I found it so much easier when I look at my life as an experiment. As opposed to thinking of it as a success or a failure. I think of it as an experiment in terms of this this guilt what can I learn from
0: it? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So
1: yeah, and sometimes I, sometimes I slip, sometimes I forget that. But and then I'm like, Oh my god, this the then the imposter syndrome comes in. But I do try to get back to it and remember it and say that, you know, this didn't work, but this is what I can learn to be better next time.
0: I agree with that. What would your younger self be proud of you for?
1: I think my younger self would be very proud of me. Um, you would be proud of me for uh, the travel part, Definitely. Because I was a sheltered kid. I I went to boarding school, but it was an all-girls school. It was really sheltered. I spent eight months a year within four walls, literally. I mean, to the campus, but yeah. So to do a lot of the stuff I've done, and I was scared to do it, but I still went on and did it. Um. So yeah, I think my younger son would be very proud to travel. Honestly, travel, everything else aside the travel bit is... Uh,
0: most proud of in life. Do you think it's because you had those constraints that you talked about when people are starting on their MeBet journey that you said, okay, I'm only going to live on $10 a day or whatever the case may be?
1: Um, I would say that and the fact that I did it alone in India because uh, my parents, when I told them, they said, you know, you know we'll fund it. Why don't you go to Bangkok? It's so much safer. Why do you want to do it in India? And why do you want to do it in this budget? Why don't you take, you know, go stay in at a good hotel. Will it, is, this may not be safe and this and that. And I said, you know, I I know somebody else who's doing it. I've spoken to her and she said that India is the best country to do it. So I said, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do it. And it was very scary. The first couple of times I tried, I failed to leave the house. I just couldn't do it. And then I had to trick my session to do it. So I got a friend to go with me to a place, so that got me out of the house. From there, I took it, my first trip alone on a bus. I went to meet my brother. I spent a couple of days with him in college when he, he was studying. From there, while he studied, while he attended class, I went on day trips. And then I took my first spent my first night in a small hotel, which fit my budget. So I did it in steps. I was terrified. I used to wake up with nightmares or somebody trying to get in my door and meet a corner and all of that. So I would say that I don't think that would have changed if the money was not there. I mean, okay, if I could have gone and stayed in a five-star property, I probably wouldn't have worried about my safety so much. But the solo travel on that budget was was yeah was scary, but very fulfilling.
0: I think that's incredible that you took that big leap into into the unknown which is essentially what you were doing (laughs) you know and how that has really shaped who you are as a person and how now you look at solo travel as your clarity time as a time for you to really figure out what am I doing what are my next steps and even just to kind of take a break away from the rest of life. So, so that's incredible. Thank you for joining us on the MeBet podcast. I've had an, a, a fantastic time chatting with you and, and uncovering your story. And I appreciate you spending the time with us today.
1: Thank you so much, Erica. It was such a pleasure to be here.